Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, February 10th, 2023. It's been 3,271 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 352 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's get some housekeeping out of the way first. Because of the significant increase in operational tempo, we will be suspending most non-combat coverage. If the volume or rate of intel merits it, we will live stream on those video-supporting social media platforms like YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. But let's go ahead and start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia's large-scale offensive has started, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, is attempting to retake the initiative throughout the theater of war. Second, we maintain there is a high chance that Russian forces will launch a larger, concentrated offensive in one or more directions before February 24th. Third, we maintain that early data indicates that Russian tactics and the quality of training for Mobik units is only incrementally better than the first wave into Ukraine in October and the Russian military within Ukraine remains incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Fourth, we maintain that the situation in Bakhmut remains critical for Ukrainian forces. Fifth, we assess that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu has politically outmaneuvered private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin with Prigozhin confirming that he is no longer recruiting from Russian penal colonies. Sixth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Seventh, Russian forces continued punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure, launching seven Shahed-136 kamikaze drones and six caliber cruise missiles on February 9th during a break in the weather. We assess the risk of a larger punitive strike to be extremely high, based on the pattern established on January 25th and 26th. Eighth, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Ninth, We maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, 
based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Tenth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eleventh, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, Serhiy Haidai, reported that the Russian offensive continued with the most significant fighting concentrated in the Kremina operational area. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that artillery exchanges continued in Novoselivske with no change in the situation. Russian forces attempted an advance on Stelmachivka and were unsuccessful. In the Kremina operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces shelled the area of Chervonopopivka throughout the day. West of Kremina, heavy fighting continued between squad and platoon-sized units, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading artillery fire near Dibrova, Kuzmina, and the Serebriansky woods. All reports indicated that Ukrainian forces held the existing defensive positions. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces continued their attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. In northeast Donetsk, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko reported that, quote, the escalation of hostilities has been felt throughout the front line in recent days. End quote. In the Siversk operational area, elements of the Russian 2nd Army Corps, previously the Luhansk People's Republic militia, continued fighting east of Spirna. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that Ukrainian forces now control the gas compressor station and are using it as a strongpoint. The GSAFU reported Vyamka was attacked for the second day in a row, and Russian forces were repulsed. We maintain our previous assessment that these attacks are being conducted by squad or platoon-sized units moving along a tree line that extends northwest from Nehirne. We updated the map to show that region as contested, but did not move the line of conflict, as there's no evidence that this is part of a larger offensive. Russian forces continued attacks in the direction of Fedorivka from the Solidar operational area without success. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner and Russian forces continued to attack Ukrainian forces in Krasnohora, with Wagner denying the settlement was captured on February 8. The situation remains very critical, with Ukrainian troops at risk of encirclement. In the Bakhmut operational area, Intense fighting continued east of Paraskovievka. There were no reports of attacks in the direction of Zaleznyanske and unconfirmed reports that Ukrainian troops were able to incrementally push Russian troops away from Berkhivka 
and the M3 Highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. There wasn't any visual confirmation of these claims, but most of the reliable Russian mill bloggers backed away from capture and or Ukrainian troops are surrounded claims. We did not update the map due to a lack of verifiable intelligence. The intensity of fighting on the northern, eastern, and southern edges of Bakhmut was reduced compared to the last two days, with the situation temporarily stable. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, heavy fighting continued, with depleted PMC Wagner units being replaced by Russian Federation Armed Forces soldiers. Ukrainian forces were able to hold defensive lines east of Chasivyar and Stopochki and south of Ivanivske. In southwest Donetsk, in the Toretsk, New York operational area, the Russian 1st Army Corps attacked in the direction of Novokalinove. They were unable to advance and return to their defensive positions. In the Avdiivka operational area, the GSAFU reported an attack on Vesele that was repelled, but didn't specify which Vesele. With the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade defending Vesele northeast of Solidar, and Russian forces controlling Vesele near the Donetsk International Airport, we're taking an educated guess that they mean the Vesele between Novoselivka Druha and Krasnohorivka. Regardless, the attack was unsuccessful. The GSAFU reported an attack on Avdiivka itself, which was also unsuccessful. South of Avdiivka, Russian forces continued attempts to advance from Vodyana, with the Russian MOD reporting that Ukrainian troops were shelled and hit by airstrikes in the, quote, area of the settlement. Elements of the 1st Army Corps continued their attempts to push into Pervomaiske from Piski and remained unable to advance. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Krasnohorivka, still without any success. Positional fighting continued in Marinka, with the big success of the day being the 1st Army Corps striking a building with direct fire from a tank, forcing two Ukrainian soldiers to run to the building next to it. No, seriously, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, People's Militia Telegram channel, shared this video as one of the day's high points. Quick sidebar for a Medinka-related error and omission. A few of our podcast listeners questioned the geolocation of the video showing a Russian platoon coming under mortar and machine gun fire in Marinka when the incident occurred between Marinka and Novomikhailivka. While admittedly it is a coin toss given its location, Radio Liberty and Ukrainian officials reported the location as Marinka. We truly, madly, deeply appreciate our readers and listeners keeping us honest, and we're going to say, we got this one right. In the Uhladar operational area, the 1st Army Corps appears to have restarted its tradition of daily attacks that fail in the direction of Novomikhailivka. So that's fun for them, I guess. The GSAFU reported an attack in the area of Bokhoyevlenka for the second day in a row, and were confused <laughs> and pretty sure that almost every war analyst following the Russia-Ukraine war is also confused. The settlement is 10 kilometers from the line of conflict that cuts through Pavlivka 
and 20 kilometers northwest of Russian-controlled Solodke. None of the semi-reliable Russian sources we follow, or, to be frank, the unreliable ones either, have made any claims in this area or direction. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack on Prechestivka failed. Some Russian mill bloggers claimed the advance was a success and that Russian troops are now three kilometers from the settlement. But Russian troops were already three kilometers from the settlement. So... Insurgents in Mariupol reported that up to a thousand Russian troops arrived in the seaside town of Melikine and are being billeted in private homes. They also reported trucks loaded with personnel were moving toward Berdyansk, while tanks were observed moving in the direction of Volnovakha. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Orekhiv operational area, the GSAFU reported a Russian attack in the area of Novoandrievka was repulsed. Explosions reported in Russian-occupied Berdyansk were at an airbase. The base is out of HIMARS range, so it's unclear if this was a major accident, an air-to-ground attack, or sabotage by a DRG unit. Up to a hundred Russian troops were killed or wounded, with ammunition and fuel destroyed and a radar station damaged. The multiple thermal anomalies detected by NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, on February 8th are consistent with missiles cooking off, but we can't verify the report. Zaporizhia was attacked by an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone, which damaged critical electrical infrastructure. The drone was one of seven launched against Ukraine on February 9th. Overnight, Zaporizhia was hit by 17 S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, causing significant damage across the city, including civilian infrastructure. In the morning of February 10th, local time, at least two Russian cruise missiles struck the city, with one hitting critical infrastructure, as part of a massive nationwide attack. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is unchanged, and the International Atomic Energy Agency has not released an update on creating a green zone or Russian demilitarization of ZNPP since January 26th. In Russian-occupied Tokmak, residents in the southeastern part of the city are complaining about the stench of death from mobile crematoriums that the Russian occupiers have started operating on the edge of the settlement. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, with weather conditions improving, three missile carriers, two surface ships and a Kilo-class submarine, left Sevastopol, went to their firing positions, and launched up to 20-caliber cruise missiles towards Ukraine. At least one reportedly entered Romanian airspace before transiting over Moldova and then turning west towards Ukraine. Ukrainian General Valery Zaluzhny reported that at 10.18 hours local time, two Russian-caliber cruise missiles entered Moldovan airspace and, 15 minutes later, crossed into Romanian skies, a nation that is part of the NATO alliance. The missiles then transited into Moldovan airspace again before re-entering Ukraine. Ukrainian officials elected not to intercept the missiles over Moldova or Romania due to the risks of causing collateral damage. 
The Romanian Air Force denied the claim, saying the missiles came within 35 kilometers of their border but never entered the nation's airspace. They did, however, confirm that the missile did violate Moldovan airspace. Officials said that two Romanian Air Force MiG-21s were already airborne for exercises and were diverted at 10.38 hours local time to intercept one missile observed on radar. Some assessment here. Romania is a NATO nation. But even if the reports are accurate, this isn't enough to trigger an Article 5 mutual defense request, and likely doesn't reach the level of an Article 4 request either. However, it is a highly provocative action by Russia that could have catastrophically ended in an accident or a misunderstanding. The incident occurred as French and United States forces were engaged in joint training with the Romanian military on the Black Sea coast. The Kerch Strait ferry remained closed, and local officials reported 277 cars and trucks in the queue. Based on previous data, this is a two-and-a-half-day backlog. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. The railroad station was shelled in Kherson as Russian forces continued targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. A five-story apartment building was hit by artillery, causing significant damage. In the evening, the city was intensely shelled by thermite munitions. The center of Bereslav was also shelled, causing significant damage and fires. In Russian-occupied Kochovka, explosions were reported. Markhanets in the Dnipropetrovsk oblast was heavily shelled, hospitalizing four civilians, including a severely injured child. The attack damaged 18 homes, the solar power plant, the post office, a cafe, three city administration buildings, and critical civilian infrastructure. Dnipro was attacked by Iranian source Shahed 136 Kamikaze drones, with at least two intercepted. The debris from one caused a fire in a remote region on the edge of the city, and a power plant was reportedly severely damaged in Kriviri. Sospilna, the equivalent of PBS in the United States, reported that Russian cruise missiles struck Venetia and Khmelnytsky. Oleksandr Simchishin, mayor of Khmelnytsky, confirmed there was an explosion in the city and that power outages were possible. In the Zolachiv district, near the village of Kizliv in the Lviv region, a Russian cruise missile appeared to have malfunctioned in flight and crashed fully intact near the bus station. At the time of recording, an explosive ordnance disposal team was on site. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kyiv, an explosion at a former factory caused major damage, killing four and wounding five. The blast occurred in the early morning and not during an air raid. Local officials said a gas explosion caused the blast, and there were no signs or reports of secondary explosions. Yesterday morning, 10 cruise missiles were shot down in the Kyiv region, with the debris of one landing in the Holosievsky district, damaging a home. In the Sumy Oblast, 97 artillery shells and mortars fired by Russian forces from across the border struck the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Esmen, Znobnovhorodsk, and Yunikivka. 
One civilian was wounded in Yunakivka, and homes were damaged across the targeted area. In the Dvorichna operational area, Russian forces made marginal gains in Hyanikivka, moving further southwest as fighting along the entire line of conflict continued. A Russian Mi-24 attack helicopter was destroyed by Ukrainian artillery after it landed just south of Tokarivka. The video does not make it clear if the helicopter landed to deploy dismounts, extract Russian troops, or due to a mechanical issue. Kharkiv was hit by 10 S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure, knocking out power to parts of the city. The barrage was one of the largest launched on Kharkiv since the initial siege almost a year ago, wounding seven. Yesterday, one caliber cruise missile headed in the direction of Kharkiv was shot down in the Kherson Mykolaiv area. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.